Romans, the second chapter. We began a series through the book of Romans a long time ago, and, and we've had moments where we have interjected other, if I could say, mini-series in the midst of this larger series. And, and I think that's the, the mercy and the grace of God to, to let us do that. Because as going through these first three chapters, those of you, and I know we have visitors here today, but, but go back and read the, the first chapter. We're going to be talking quite a bit in the second chapter. We'll be going back and referencing some of the things in the first ch- chapter. But, but Paul is laying out an indictment upon sin, and he keeps hammering it home over and over and over again. And so we're going to pick it up today. We're, we're going to read from a pretty good chunk here. We're, we're going to take in uh, a lot of the first chapter. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Uh, let's take it down uh, through verse 24 today. And uh, we'll, we'll see what the Lord has in store. I've got a lot of notes here. And I'll, Brother Jim and I was talking about this this morning. Uh, we, we make our preparation. Brother Dan, you, you know what we're talking about. We make our preparation uh, when we're going to get up and speak, but but in the midst of it, we walk up them steps and say, "Holy Spirit, take over." Do I, if I need to get rid of half of this, let it let it go by the wayside. It was for me. And if there's things that 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 I didn't think of that you didn't place there yet, that that you're going to keep me waiting until such a time and bring it to my mind, even during the sermon, Lord, Word of God, speak, because that's what we want. We want the Word of God to speak. And I always say, as long as I'm reading Scripture, I know I'm on safe ground. And I'm on solid ground. The part that causes me to tremble is like right now when I'm just talking. And that scares me. Because I know me. And I can only imagine my wife trembling in the seat down there. Oh, what's he going to say? Well, let the Word of God speak this morning. Romans 2, 1-24. through And I'll be reading from New King James Version this morning. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice such things. Now, I'm going to pause from time to time as we're reading through this because I'm going to remind you of what he had just said over in chapter 1. He had just given uh, this big list of sins of of the Gentiles and of the people of the day. And, And I can only imagine that there are the righteous, pious ones that are hearing the first part of that letter. Well, that's not me. That's not me. I don't do those terrible, awful things. That's not me. And the Jews would be saying... Hey, I'm a Jew. That, that, that's not me. I, I'm, I'm covered in, in the law here. I'm covered by the covenant. And, and perhaps there were even some moral Gentiles. Can I say that? They're good moral lost people in this world, aren't they? They do a lot of benevolent things. They do things that, that, that you'd almost think they're a Christian, but there's no spirit within. And perhaps even them, these people were saying, well, that's not me. But Paul, by the Holy Spirit, knew their heart, didn't he? Therefore, you are excusable, man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. He knew their heart. 
But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Boy, he's hitting him, isn't he? And in hitting them, we have the written word today, it hits us too, doesn't it? Verse 4, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up, you are storing up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Now let me pause there for another moment because you may be thinking, wait a minute, according to deeds, I I, I thought by by grace we are saved through faith, not, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are created, saved by grace, for good works. Can I get an amen to that? That's in Ephesians. We're saved by grace for good works, which He has laid out beforehand for us to walk in them. So, our deeds will bear evidence of whether or not we have the Holy Spirit within us, of whether we're following after the Lord. So, who will render to each one according to his deeds. And here's what the Lord will, in his righteous judgment, verse 7, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for honor, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. You know, Brother Jim talked about this morning, enduring to the end. Those who are saved or truly born again will endure to the end. Not one of his will be lost. It will be a patient continuance verse 8 but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the jew first and also of the greek but glory honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the jew first and also to the greek For for there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law, this would be the Gentiles, will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature Do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Let me pause here for a moment. Again, we talked about this quite a bit last Sunday. Everyone born has this written on their heart, the, the work of the law written in their hearts. Now, as, the, as they grow and they get caught up in the world and as a child of wrath, even though this law is written in their heart, they will, in what it say in chapter 1, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And their conscience becomes seared, becomes calloused, where they will not hear, and they will go deeper and deeper into sin and unrighteousness. But there is always a connection. I I believe, Barb and I talked about this this morning, 
that there are a lot of people who have denied God as they got older and denied Him and denied Him and denied Him, but that there is that which was written on their heart by God Himself, and it seems to me that many will come to a time, perhaps near death, where fear overtakes them. Because they know. They know there is a God. Just by, by nature... Again, chapter 1, there will be none with an excuse. He has made Himself manifest to the whole world. Just look at nature and what He has created. You show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. (laughs) You hear a lot of excuses going on sometimes, don't you? In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Let me pause again. Is there anything that the Lord does not know? Is there anything that is hidden from Him? No. 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 He knows our inward parts. He knows our thoughts. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law. Now, this is a transition almost of, of Paul has come out. He's been talking about the Gentiles and the Jews together. Now he is getting specific. Starting in verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you are yourself, that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Sounds like a pretty good person, doesn't it? I mean, if we just stopped right there, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, let's keep going. Paul knows their hearts. You, therefore, who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Do you abhor idols, do you rob, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Let me pause again. Paul knew their heart, and and, and it's a resounding yes. And, and we know it's a resounding yes because of verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentile because of you. As it is written. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, May your Holy Spirit move among us. Let the distractions be few. Help us to, even now, to fight the good fight of faith as as we listen to learn from you. Help us to take the shield of faith that will quench every fiery dart. Help us to hold on to the sword of the Spirit, your word. So, Father, even now, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And most of all, who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake, and in His name I pray, Amen. Now, now you folks that are visitors today, you're, you're getting a piece. We, we have probably preached 20 sermons so far in Romans. And Paul is going to continue this indictment on sin. And he's hammering at home over and over 
and over again. And, and, and for you that have been here in the midst of, of all these sermons, have you almost thought, Paul, come on man, why are you spending so much time on sin? Come on, come on, Paul, let's get to the good news. Get to the gospel. Because as I've talked about, and many will agree, that the great theme of Romans is that in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Let's read it again this morning. Because I believe you can take the entirety of the book of Romans and you sum it up in these verses where the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, in other words, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So, why does Paul spend so much time exposing the sin of the Gentiles and the Jews? And, and the Word of God speaks to us yet today, doesn't it? And of us, why does he spend so much time? L- l- listen, and I talked about this earlier as we were singing a song, because, because first, you see, the gospel doesn't become good news to us until first we've heard the bad news. That we of ourselves are nothing but sinful and hopeless before God. That we have committed sin. Because it takes a recognition of sin, does it not? How can we be saved if if we don't know what we're being saved from? How can we confess something if, if, if we don't realize we have sin? What is there to confess unless we know we are sinners? And so Paul, this is what he's doing in, the, in these first two chapters of Romans and, and in the, the, the most of, of the third chapter, he's knocking down every argument. He's knocking down every excuse, every false security, so that all may know of their utter depravity and their need of salvation. That's what Paul is doing. That apart from the gospel of Christ, there is nothing but indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. And we know this, Paul is working his way. And we're trying to follow along with him. We're working our way to get into Romans 3. And and I read this last week, but let's read it again in Romans 3, verses 9 through 19. Get a glimpse of where we're going. This is where Paul is going. Here he's talking to the Jews and he says in verse begins in verse 9 what then are we better than they what's he saying are, are we as Jews better than the gentiles not at all for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin and again go back and read chapter 1 and 2 and that's what he's been doing over and over again Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips 
whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. This is Paul. If you drop down to verse 23 that many of you have memorized or used in your evangelism, or all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Jew, Gentile, Greek, Roman, all. All. So, so let us always remember that in the first three, three chapters of Romans, Paul is out to totally dismantle any thought of a righteousness apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is out to firmly state that all are sinners, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and Gentiles and all Jews guilty before God. There will be no excuse for sin apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, let's go down to verse 17. Let's read 17 through 18 in Romans 2. Again, here is Paul. And he's putting the focus on the Jew to dismantle their false security because that, that's what they're hiding behind. They have a false security. There are many people today who are hiding behind a false security. Many today, well, well, well my, my parents are Christians. I go to church. I, I listen to Christian music. I even listen to a sermon now. Again, there's a couple guys I like to listen to. I'm good. Is it a false security though? Have you been saved by grace through faith? Have you confessed your sin? And here, Paul was out to talk to those who would say, but I'm a Jew. I, I, I'm a covenant recipient. I, I even bear the sign of the covenant circumcision. I have the law. And to these, Paul says, beginning verse 17, 17 through 20. I don't know if I put the rest of that in there. If I didn't, Chase, just let me read it. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having a form of knowledge and truth in the law. Now, I want to address something here just because of what's been just in the news. Paul is not making a racial slur when he says Jew. Okay? Because I am sure that there are some today who would want to say Paul's a racist. Don't you? Paul's a racist. And they would want to turn all this around and get into this topic of critical race theory. This is not Paul's intent. Now we'll say this, the Jewish people had suffered greatly throughout the years, have they not? Despicable 
despicable things just because they were Jews. That's wrong. The, the, the Holocaust, how terrible. How terrible such things. And, and things like this still going on. And it's not right. You don't have to get into some big topic about critical race theory to know this is wrong because I know it's wrong because God has imprinted it in my heart. Paul was a Jew. <laughs> All the apostles were Jew. Jesus was a Jew. Paul loved his Jewish kinsmen. He risked his life over and over. He risked his life to bring them the gospel of Christ. He wept for them. Go to Romans, the ninth chapter. Here's Paul's attitude toward his kinsmen. In Romans 9, the first five verses. And this is Paul. I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Oh, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Here, let me pause there again. That We've talking about Jews. Well, it's the same people that they could be called Israelites and identify them with their land with Israel. They could be called Hebrews, the Hebrew children, because it identified them by their language. And from what I understand, they could be called Jews because of their nationality, the tribe of Judah, Jew, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Let me pause again. Were there great advantages? Well, there would seem to be. Look at all that had been given to them that the Gentiles did not have. Such great advantage. Verse 5, Of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, and eternally blessed, the eternally blessed God. Amen. See, Paul was ready to be accursed for his unbelieving Jewish kinsmen. If you go to chapter 10, look at verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So don't think that Paul is slandering the Jews. No, he, he loves his kinsmen. And his desire for them is that they may be saved. So Paul's message was that both Jew and Gentiles need the gospel. All are sinners, even the Jews who had the advantage of having the law given to them. You see, they would boast of their standing before God, their heritage, and even, even though they had the law of Moses, they had a form of knowledge, a form of godliness, but they were not doers of the law. And could anybody perfectly be a doer of the law? No. No. Only Christ. Only Christ. Verse 13 in Romans 2. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Doers. Uh, just read the book of James. Faith without works is dead. Be a doer 
Uh, let's go to Romans, the second chapter, verse 21 through 24. Again, Paul knows their hearts. The Holy Spirit has revealed all this to him. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourselves? You who preach that a man shall not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Yes. Dishonoring God. And Paul makes it very clear. Verse 24, for the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So why the as it is written? Because he is quoting to them the very law, the very Old Testament word from one of their prophets. Let's go Isaiah 52, verse 5. See, their words themselves that they hold or that they say they treasure will indict them. Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taking away for nothing? Those who rule over them, make them wail, says the Lord. And my name is blasphemed continually every day. Now, why was the Israelites, why were the Jews, why were the Hebrew children taken into captivity over and over and over again? Why? Because of sin disobedience they dishonored god and because of their law breaking they brought contempt upon the name of god the name of god is blasphemed among the gentiles because of you now let me put this in the form of a question let's all hey examine ourselves here is the name of god blasphemed among the gentiles because of you See, this hit me. Does my sin, my dishonoring God, give occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme His great name? Is there anyone in here who's perfect and doesn't sin anymore? No one. Does anybody raise their hand? You just lied and that's a sin. No one. No one. No one. And I take that occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme His great name. I take that from the encounter of Nathan and King David. This is after David's great fall, his sin with Bathsheba, the killing of Uriah. And it comes down to here's Nathan. You are that man. Uh, in Second Samuel 12, verses 13 and 14. This is where we get this. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Let me pause there. So what do we have? Confession. We have confession. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. That's mercy. That's great mercy. That's mercy that that, that we receive as born-again Christians, and we receive it. <laughs> I receive mercy every day. How about you? 1 John 1.9. I, I don't know if I put that there, Chase, did I? 1 John 1.9. Everybody knows it. I can just read it if it's not there. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
He'll forgive us. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, however, let me just ask this question. Is there consequences to sin? Yes. You can be forgiven for sin, but you may bear the mark of that sin for the rest of your life. There's always a cost. However, because of this deed, this sin, you see, this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And one of the punishments that's coming the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. See, this, this, this is the same indictment that Paul is making to the Jews, and I believe to us as well, who are dishonoring God by our deeds and our sin. And thus, these were, and perhaps... We have times when we still do today give occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Look at him. I thought I thought he's a preacher. And and would you just look at how he responded? Pick your situation. Because I don't know about you, I don't always respond well certain situations of life. I don't. He's still working on me. He's still working on you too. And that's mercy. That's mercy. Now here, here's what I want to do. I, I, I quoted quite a bit from Piper and MacArthur last week. I, I want to read from Martin Lloyd-Jones as he talks about this verse 24. And many will believe and and I'm, and I'm kind of in the camp, I guess, that, that Lloyd Jones' series of sermons from Romans is almost a, a gold standard when it comes to going through the Book of Romans. Now, I, I'm not going to say I'm where I agree with everything of Lloyd Jones right now, but 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 I know I go and I can read and I can draw from from what the Lord has impressed on him. So so bear with me, Martin Lloyd Jones. On verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. You very Jews who claim to be God's people, you are causing others to blaspheme the name of God. Here is something which has an obvious application to us, Lloyd-Jones says. I wonder whether any of us who are Christians are causing people to blaspheme the name of Christ and of God as the Jews were doing. It works like this. We are God's people, the Jews would claim. They boasted about God and about the law. They said, God has ignored all the other nations. He has chosen us and He has blessed us so signally in all this way. Now the Gentiles heard all this and they looked on and they drew certain deductions which were perfectly fair. To begin with, the Gentiles were obviously judging God by what they saw in the Jews. They had no personal or direct knowledge of God, but here was a nation that claimed it was God's own people 
and they were the representatives of God. Now let me pause there. Do you understand what he's saying? The lost world out there, they don't have knowledge of the Bible. Perhaps some do because they've read it. But most don't. You've heard the expression, you know, we're the only Bible some people read. And there's some credence to that, I believe. Because they're looking to us. Especially if it's acquaintances, maybe at work, or or, or people that we live close to, or, or have some kind of connection to, and they know that we're a Christian. They're watching, aren't they? They're watching. Let me continue. So the Gentiles judged God by what they saw in the Jews, and you cannot blame them. In the same way, you cannot blame people today for judging Christ and Christianity by what they see in church members. And the blindness of many Christians at this point is something I cannot understand at all. People seem to think, that the masses are outside the Christian church because our evangelistic methods are not what they ought to be. That is not the answer. I'm going to read that again. I'm going to read that again. Our evangelism is not right. That's why people aren't in the church. Uh, we we, we got to get this evangelism figured out. Have you heard that? Got to get this program. We got to get it right. We got to put this all down. We got to get our evangelism right. Lloyd-Jones is saying that's not the problem. The problem's within. People seem to think that the masses are outside the Christian church because their evangelistic methods are not what they ought to be. That is not the answer. People are outside the church because looking at us, they say, what is the point of being Christians? Look at them. See, they are judging Christ by you and by me. And you cannot stop them. And you cannot blame them. They not only judge God and Christ by this, they judge the truth of God in the same way. The Gentiles said, these people are always talking about truth. They say, we are in darkness. And they have some marvelous revelation that God gave the law to their great leader Moses. They talk about truth very well. They said, look at the lives that the Jews are living. Is that the truth? Is that what truth leads to? Is that the kind of life and behavior that is the result of truth? What do you think? Is Lloyd-Jones hitting it on the head here? And so they, they judged the truth by what they saw in its representatives. And people are doing that today about Christianity. They look at those, they say, look at those Christians. Look, look at them when they are ill. Look, look at them when, when they think they're going to die. Look at them when something goes wrong. They, they can talk marvelously about the sun is shi- when the sun is shining and when business is going well and when there's no trouble in the family. But the moment anything goes wrong, they do not seem to have anything. Did that just describe any of you? As we've preached many a sermon along these lines of trials will come. Don't think it's strange that the fiery trial that is about to try you, to test you, why would the Lord allow that? So that we might know that our faith is real. And that our strength is not of our own, but of Him. Yet not I, but Christ. But the moment, let me go back, but the moment anything goes wrong, they do not, do not seem to have anything. They're even worse than many who are not Christians. Is 
Is that Christianity? Lloyd-Jones says, perfectly logical. Perfectly fair deduction of what the lost would be seeing. Let me continue. And then the third way in which it works is this. They judge the salvation of God by what they see in its representatives. The Jews were always talking about deliverances and about God's salvation. And the Gentiles look on and they say, is this the sort of person that God blesses? Is this the kind of blessing that God gives to His own? So, so they judged the whole of salvation by what they saw in the Jews. And people were, are judging Christianity, the glorious message of the Advent season, and the cross, and the resurrection, and the Holy Ghost. All this is being judged by what people see in you and me. Take these words of our, of our Lord to the woman at Samaria. Whoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. That's from John 4. And then look look at Christians, church members. Do we give the impression that we are enjoying this glorious gospel of the blessed God that we are holding on to and benefiting by the exceeding great and precious promises? Are we partakers of the unsearchable riches of Christ? Are we living as princes or do we give the impression that we are paupers? Let me continue. The Gentiles are looking on. And then the fourth point is this, Lloyd-Jones says. They judge the power of God by what they see in us. Now this is very important, Jones says. In verse 24, the apostle is quoting Isaiah 52.5, taking it almost word for word from the subsequent translation. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. That happened in this way. Here were these people who claimed that they were God's own people and that God had was concerned that and that God was concerned about them and loved them and would never permit any harm to come to them, then suddenly they are carried away into the captivity of Babylon. <laughs> they were defeated by the Chaldean army, and they were quite helpless. Their city was sacked and demolished, and they were taken out of their own land. And the Gentiles looked on and said, Where is their God? They always said that their God was the only true God, that the others were not gods at all, but it looks to us, the Gentiles said, as if these gods are more powerful than the God of Israel. If the God of Israel were the almighty God that, that he, that they had talked about, would he have permitted their enemies to defeat them? Would he ever have permitted them to be humbled and humiliated and carried away? They said their God has no power. These other gods, Baal and Ath-Terath, these are the gods that give victory. Let me pause. Why, why do people turn to other things? Other religions, other false religions, instead of Christianity? <laughs> because they're seeing that other gods can do more for them, at least in their eyes. Of course, their eyes are blinded. They don't know the truth. And all they're doing is trying to follow after something that whereby they can justify their own way of life. That's what many of them are doing. Oh, just let me find a religion. Let me find a Bible. Let me find something that, that leaves all out all these parts that are condemning me. These other gods 
These are the gods that give victory. The God of Israel has no power at all. This again is important. Not only do you find it in, in Isaiah, there is a very extended statement of this same principle in, in the prophet Ezekiel. And so I, I went ahead and put that in there, Chase. Ezekiel 36, uh, verse 20 through uh, 23. We're going to read it from New King James Version. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned, profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of His land. But I had concern for my holy name. This is God now. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. What an indictment from, from God Himself. 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went, and I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. See, the, the, the Lord will bring the lost sheep that has strayed away and committing sin and dishonoring His great name. He will bring them back. And sometimes He brings them back through great discipline. And bring them back. Why? Because God has concern for His great name. And He will not leave those who are His, his out there to continually dishonor Him. Then uh, this prophecy goes on with what God is doing in verse 36. Ezekiel 36.36 Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. And I, I can almost get a picture there. This is just me talking. I can almost get a picture there of someone who is perhaps who is truly born again, but have stumbled. And the Lord will take the clay and remold it again. He doesn't throw the clay away. So he'll refashion. Refashion that vessel to be a worthy vessel again. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful? Let me continue. Again, Lloyd-Jones. You see, you cannot expect the Gentiles to understand this. But this is how it works. The children of Israel were defeated and carried into captivity because of their own sin and because God, as a part of His chastisement of them, allowed the enemy to come in and defeat them. He, he could have stopped it, but He allowed it in order to teach them, in order to chastise them. But you cannot expect the enemy to understand that. Have, have you ever considered this, you see? Have you ever looked at it this way? The enemy can't understand the discipline of God. They can't. 
Let me continue. But you cannot expect the enemy to understand that. He does not know. He has not got a spiritual mind. All he saw was the defeat and the captivity of Israel. And so he profaned the name of God and said that God could have stopped it. And it was the sin of Israel that led to that. As far as the outsiders were concerned, it led to an utterly false impression of the power of God. And it is as true of us as it was of the Jews of old, whom the Lord loveth, He chastens. That's from Hebrews 12. There are times when He chastens us by just withholding His smile from us. And we are left to ourselves, and we become miserable and wretched, and the whole world looks on and says, Look at that miserable Christian! But the worldling... (laughs) It's not a word we use much, is it? Any? But the worldling does not know that we are like that because God is punishing us and chastising us. He sees nothing but the misery and he says, what sort of God is a God who leaves people like that to be defeated by circumstances and trials? And so we dishonor the name of God and bring it into disrepute exactly as the Jews did of old. There, then, is the apostle's mighty exposure of hypocrisy. His object in doing it, as I remind you, is to show the final and complete futility of resting upon a mere knowledge of the law and not putting it into practice. Again, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. Not only will it avail you nothing, says Paul, in effect, it is bringing God into dishonor and into disrepute. It is causing those Gentiles to blaspheme His name. And this was a very... Clever quotation, if I may put it so, you see. Paul shows them that it is not only his idea, not only his argument, he quotes the Scriptures which they know well and shows them how their own Scriptures condemn them and they are left without a single argument at this particular point, end quote. I know that was a bunch, but I I wasn't going to try to paraphrase that from a great man of God. So perhaps a question, and I've already posed it, to every born again believer in here, do we, do I, give reason or occasion for the world, for the enemies of the Lord, to blaspheme His great name because of the words we speak? Some of the things we're doing? Examination time, isn't it? Has there been conviction in your heart about some things in your life, in my life? And we take a a real hard look at it, we could say, oh, I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, maybe me doing this or saying this, maybe it is giving cause for my Lord to be blasphemed. This speaks to to all, believer or unbeliever. And I just want to close just by asking the question, because it's got to begin here. Do you believe? Do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you come to the realization at some point in your life that you're a sinner lost, and as the Lord, by His great mercy, 
Open your eyes to see your sin. That's mercy. By faith unto salvation, do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's read John 3, verses 14 through 19. See, my prayer when I read these scriptures is that one day someone will get such a touch from the Lord that they would just shout, I see it! I, I see it now! As the scales would be rolled back. They could see most holy God. See their sin. See their rescue in Jesus Christ. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Lifted up on the cross. Why? That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Let's go to Romans 10. Romans 10. See, Paul... Paul he gets to the good news. He gets to the good news that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved. You know, some, somebody shared. I don't know. It might have been you, Amy. I shared of of mom in the hospital and or, or, or at a doctor's office or something, and, and asking whoever it was, "Are you saved? Are you saved?" Perhaps they had heard. Perhaps they had an inkling of, of what that meant, perhaps. But maybe not. But, but, but we know. Well, what's that mean to be saved? Saved from what? The wrath of God. The wrath of God that will one day fall upon all unbelievers. Believe in your heart that God has raised them from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. See, even when we get to chapter 10, he's going to keep talking about no partiality. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, do, do you believe? I'm going to go back to, to that, that Romans 1, verses 16 and 7, the foundation, I believe, of the whole book of Romans. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it, in that gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from Faith to faith, as it, are written, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. See, for, for those who believe the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, for those who believe the message of the cross, it is no longer foolishness to them, but it has become for them the power of God unto salvation. 
But for those who do not believe. See, see we read John 3.16 there. Well, we'll drop down 20 verses. Let's drop down. John 3.36. He who believes in the Son, Jesus Christ, he who believes in the Son has what? Everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but what? The wrath of God abides on him. You heard the expression, dead men walking? That's what they are. And they're storing up, they're treasuring up wrath for the day of wrath. Wrath for the unbeliever, but blood-bought mercy for the believer. Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath. See, there it is. We'll be saved from wrath through Him, through Christ. No other way but through Christ. But through Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give You thanks for Your Word. And Lord, I just pray if there's any parts that I misspoke, I, I pray that just by the, Your great power and the Holy Spirit, you, you fixed it in the translation before it reached ears. And Father, I pray that we might all take to heart, all of us take to heart what we have heard today. There's no one here today or, or anyone that may listen to this sermon who, will, who would someday stand before God in judgment, lost, and, and say they have a legitimate excuse for why He should let them into His glory. There will be no excuses. And so, Father, I pray by the truth of Your Word and the power of Your Holy Spirit, that should there be someone lost who is listening to this even now, that You would open their eyes, that You would shine light into darkness, that, that, that You would bring to life that which was dead. Father, grant them faith that they might believe, that, that they might see You and Your holiness, that they might see their sin and separation from You. That the Lord, that, that they would tremble before such a great God. So grant them faith that they might believe. Grant them repentance as they would confess their sin. Lord, draw them close to you and, and help them to follow you the rest of their days. And Lord, for those who are born again, I, I pray, Lord, that we could all take what we've heard today as, as examination time that we might take into account of the things that we say and do, that we might take inventory, that we may look into the perfect law of liberty and let it reveal to us who we truly are. And Father, let conviction fall where it needs to. Lord, in my life, convict me of, of those things that are, that, that are still not what they should be. And Lord, help me, help us all, Lord, to feed upon Your Word, 
we would draw strength from your word, that we would be led by the spirit and, and not by the flesh. Lord, help us to keep the old man dead and help us to live in newness of life. So Father, help us as we would prepare to leave this place. Help us to walk in those works that you have placed before us. We love you, Father. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.